0: Welcome to Head to Toe, stories from the history and future of Healthcare. Hello and welcome listeners to an extraordinary stories episode of Head to Toe. This is an interview with Jonathan Tan, a nurse turned physician assistant. Jonathan shares with us some of his most extraordinary stories from being a provider in the ICU, the emergency room and urgent care. Please enjoy.
1: Well, again, thank you for being a guest on Head to Toe. Very excited to talk with you.
2: Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Looking forward to it. Well, I'm, uh, my name is Jonathan. I'm a PA. Um, I've been a PA for about uh, two, two and a half years, going so around three years. Um, before that, I was actually a ER nurse. So um, I was actually a nurse for about a good three, four years before I made the switch. Um, I often get asked, uh, why not NP and why PA school? And, um, you know, it it just comes down to uh, the training. Uh, I I looked at both uh, curriculums and I found that I wanted a little more of an intense, rigorous training. Um, So I ended up going the PA route um, and I ended up graduating, um, you know, and I got a job right out of school. Actually, even before I graduated, I I had a job. Um, My first job was in the ICU, Um, maybe not the best job for a new grad right out of the gate. But uh, I learned a tremendous amount. And then um, I basically transitioned from there into the emergency room, which I probably should have done in the first place since it was a natural fit for my personality. Um, And I ended up doing that. And um, I moved from New York to California um, about almost a year ago. And uh, I've been running um, two, or not running, but working at uh, two urgent cares and um, the sole uh, provider at both institutions. And, um, you know, it's, it's forced me to do a lot, you know, when you're in the hospital setting, you've got, you know, you've got your attending there, you've got other nurses and other coworkers to, to help you out when you're maybe stuck in a, in a, in a situation where you don't know, but, uh, being in an urgent care so far for the past, uh, past year or so, it's been great. It's forced me to really be independent and, uh, and trust my gut and my decision-making. So, it's been, it's been wonderful.
1: Wow, good for you. That's awesome. Welcome to the West Coast also. And, uh, wow, yeah, it's, a,
2: it's been great. <laughs> yeah,
1: bold move to go from uh, the ER grind into the, the provider role. That's that's big. Congratulations. That's,
2: yeah, it is a grind. That's a great way to put it. It's, it's a grind. But uh, like I said, I, I've learned more in the past year than I, I probably have in my entire life <laughs> in my professional career. It's really made me, um, you know, it's kind of forced me to really call upon those uh, those zebra diagnoses that you, you think you'd never see, and and you pinch yourself sometimes and you go, oh my gosh, this is actually a real thing.
1: The zebra diagnoses, I hear that from ER providers all the time. You gotta you gotta find the zebra, even if it looks like a horse. Or how right. does the saying go? I forget. Of course, yeah. They go
2: they say don't go looking for zebras. Um, you know, basically, uh, you know, it, it, don't go looking for things that are mystery doctor house diagnoses. Um, sometimes the answer is it's just as simple as it looks, but right. on the flip side, I've learned not all the you know it's not always as simple as it looks. There's always something else, and I think that's something that uh, I love teaching uh, to my uh, my students that I have run come through my our urgent care mm-hmm. um, is that to think to, you know to be able to get to a clear diagnosis when it's very obvious, but to just sort of keep your um, you know, keep your Keep your eyes and ears open for those zebras because you don't want to miss them because right. they're often missed by, you know, by many many providers who just kind of rush through and are in a in a time crunch. But yeah, but you can't let the time crunch dictate you know how you think. You've mm-hmm. got to be able to to catch those life threatening
1: mm-hmm. issues. And- mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. All right. So, I hear that you have perhaps some extraordinary stories to share.
2: I have a couple. I have a couple. I mean, um, I can start off in the ICU just because it was my first day there. And there was a, um, there was a gentleman that was there. And um, he had been there for almost about, uh, about two weeks when I got there. So he was there for a while. And the case was just very interesting. And it's one of those ones where I, I just can't believe I'm witnessing what I'm witnessing. Um, he had come in for, uh, you know, what appears to be a, a fever of unknown origin. And what happened was he started to develop uh gangrene. Um, I'm sure plenty of people have heard that term before. And um, it started off in, you know, there's a single part of the upper limb. And, um, you know, this is the, the problems with family dynamics. Sometimes you have a big family and, you know, no one can really decide on the family is sort of torn between what they want to do and what they what they don't want to do and Um, And basically, this this poor gentleman um, developed gangrene and um, half the family wanted to continue to amputate and try to try to save the gentleman. And then the other half said, you know, if it's looking bleak, you know, we'll let him go. And over the course of six months, it went from a finger to a hand to an arm to the other finger, to the hand to the arm, and then the feet, the, the legs to the point where at the end of my six months, Time there in the ICU, you know the, the poor gentleman was left nothing but basically the trunk of his body in his head, and the fight was still going on, whether to, to continue to save the gentleman now I, I, I don 't know I had left by the time he was still in the ICU, but that was definitely one of those very odd um, cases that I just couldn't believe I was noticing right in front of me, so that was that was definitely one of the, the crazier ones I've seen in the ICU
1: did and they in the end emergency
2: up emergency room
1: i had oh sorry did oh, they did they end up um, amputating did you did you said he was kind of left with the trunk yes, and a
2: yes the surgeons the surgeons continued to amputate at the request of um, the majority of the family members and um, it was just every day every almost every week every other week i came in he was missing another limb and you know we were sort of stuck between this point of are we really helping this gentleman Mm-hmm. You know is this the kind of life that you really would have wanted, mm-hmm. but it, it, at the end of the day, it's not up to us to make the decision It's on the family True. and um uh, it it was a struggle for the family you know we it, there was part of them that said, "Hey, we got to do everything we can for our dad, our husband our and our family member mm-hmm. and uh, the other half that said this you know maybe maybe this maybe this is doing more harm than good maybe this is this is too much mm-hmm. and um you know all the meetings that we had with the family you know at the end of the road. To decide to keep fighting. And, um, you know, I, I struggle sometimes with my own personal beliefs with, you know, letting things go, but that's the, that's the struggle we face as uh, healthcare providers is, you know, the difference between science and, and, and faith and, and often, you know, it, it's a, it's a very thin line and we try to walk it cautiously. So that was just the ICU. And then, uh, the ER, I mean, you know, the ER you're, you're used to seeing unexplained things and, but then there's those cases that you that you hear, you know, an attending that you had uh, precepting you, and you know you go, oh, that's that's not true. And then when you're faced with it, so I had a, a case where I had a woman in her late 60s. Her family had brought her in, and uh, she wasn't English speaking. She was from a uh, you know, from China, and her family brought her in, and they said that she just started hiccuping at dinner for for no no reason, and then she, she really couldn't stop. You know, they brought her into our urgent care, uh, our ER. And, uh, you know, you think hiccups, it's it's nothing really to be too concerning about, but I had an attending tell me one time, he said, you know, something, this is one of those zebras where sometimes hiccuping can be a sign of something more serious. So, before she even really, you know, got to her story, I said, let's just get an EKG on her right away. And lo and behold, she was having a massive heart attack. Her EKG was completely abnormal. She was having a massive heart attack and, you know, we got her to the cath lab and we were able to take care of her right away. But I thought to myself, wow, you know, I said, this is one of those instances where you just, you don't know. It was, it was really, that was pretty crazy, uh, crazy incident.
1: Hiccuping. Probably
2: one of the other crazy incidents.
1: It was just one of those like, all right, let's get the 12 lead. Let's just see. Let's just see. Yeah. You know, it
2: was, it was an instinct. It was just something that just switched off in my head. And that just comes from having a good preceptor who tells you, you know, these are some cases that, you know, don't, don't take these things lightly, especially in certain age populations and, Mm -hmm. and everything. And the minute she walked in, um, you know, through a translator that she just started hiccuping and she looked completely normal and you would think nothing of it, Hmm. but just those gut instincts, just from, you know, from training and, and, and just trusting, like I said, your gut instincts. You you really get that that sense. And we pulled her in right away. I said, you know, let's get her in. Let's just do an EKG. And believe me, my staff looked at me like I had ten heads. <laughs> they're like this some, you know, for them they're like this is someone who can wait. You know, you've got a laceration coming in. You know, other things coming in. I said no, just let's just get the EKG. And it doesn't take long to do. This, so I figured let's just do it. And lo and behold, they she had a mass. She was having a massive heart attack. We followed up with her, um, and, and she's doing well, but it's one of those things where I could have easily dismiss it as nothing. Sure. Uh, I'm very lucky to have good tr- good preceptors who, you know, all it took was just one, one story, <laughs> and <laughs> it's here in front of me within a year. So, Nuts. Nuts. That was definitely crazy.
1: Nuts. I'm, that's going to stick with me, too, the hiccuping. <laughs> Did you guys do it? Yeah, any hiccuping. Right,
2: exactly. <laughs> Yeah, not everybody okay. who hiccups is going to have a massive heart
1: attack, no, but no. you know
2: it's just one of those things where just something in my head just said, you know, just got a funny feeling. Let's just do it. Mm. Good
1: for you. You hit a
2: home run sometimes.
1: Good for oh, you. Thank you. <laughs> there you go. I'm
2: happy for her. I'm so I'm glad she's okay. So that's good.
1: Zebras finding the zebras. I zebras.
2: like it.
1: Well, I got a, a few lightning round questions for you. What keeps you in medicine?
2: So what keeps you in medicine? That's a great question. I, um, you know, I
1: when I, I was actually
2: asked that question at my my PA interview, because they wanted to know why medicine, why nothing else. And, you know, I, I basically told them I can't imagine doing anything else. You know, this is, it's, it's a great job. It's, it's thankless. Um, it's, it's a humbling experience, you know, to, to be able to fix a problem that for some people may be so minute, such as a fever and to give, people answers and you know just to be able to explain to them what's going on that things will be okay if you can you know if you can fix it um, and seeing the, the response you get from not only the patient but their families to them it's the it's the most important thing in the world is their health their family's health so something as simple as an ear infection you, you know it's just the, just the ability to say hey this is what this is I'm going to fix it I'm going to get you better You take it for granted, you you know, these things you take for granted, being in a position where you can heal someone and and help them, to see them come back well, you know, it it really, it's a great feeling and it keeps me going every day. And I often have regular patients that will come in. It it becomes like a family, you know, every patient that I take care of, I never, not every patient, but you, you don't forget their faces and you see them again and again and again and you realize how great of a job you really have to be able to have someone, another human being put their health or their family's health in your hands. Mm -hmm. It's, it's a, it's one of the greatest feelings in the world.
1: What made you become a a nurse in the first place? Did you always want to be in medicine or was that a different? So
2: that's a, that's interesting. You know, I, my mom is a lab tech. So she, she's worked in the hospital for, in the hospital saying for over 40 years, you know, she's, she's been there forever. She's a vet. My dad and all his brothers and sisters were nurses and doctors. My dad actually wasn't neither a nurse or a doctor. He was a he's a chemist. So, you know, he had a little science in him. But uh, you, you know, medicine never kept happened in my head. Healthcare, nursing, nothing. My mom would pick me up from school and um just the middle school and I'd go back to the hospital with her, I'd sit in the sort of the break room until she finished her shift and you know, I, I was exposed to a lot of doctors and nurses. I would see them running around the hospital and, you know, and even at my dad's side of the family, at family parties, my uncles, my aunts would talk about medicine and, and healthcare. And, you know, you'd think it'd be a natural fit. But for me, when I graduated high school, I had no ambition to go into healthcare. I wanted to actually be a marine biologist. I had a big thing for the ocean and, and, uh, and things like that. But um, I think it was... A very specific incident where I witnessed um, a gentleman in an airport go into cardiac arrest, and I saw people who were obviously CPR certified uh, rush in. And you know, you're you're there in an airport. There's nowhere to hide. You know, you see it. And I remember seeing them bring this man back to life. You know, for about they worked on him for about a good 25, 30 minutes, just three or four. People, um, you know, I don't know what their professions were, but they were in regular clothes, but they were obviously CPR certified because um, they knew what they were doing, and they brought the man back to life. And I thought it was the coolest thing ever. <laughs> I was like, I want to, I want to do that. I want to do and that. And so I, I want to do that. And I was actually a freshman in college at this time, actually, and I was still undeclared. I was kind of doing, you know, the un, undecided major, and you know, going out with my friends and. And I and I think when I had gotten back after winter break, I had I said I want to be in healthcare. And I know there was a shortage of men in nursing at that time. There was not a lot of men in nursing at that time. So I said to my dad, I said, Hey dad, I want to do something different. I want to go into healthcare, but I want to be a nurse. And he was like, Let's do it. He's like, That that's phenomenal. You know, I had a neighbor who was a nurse. who was a nurse in the in the army. I think he's still a nurse in the army. And so I picked his brain about it, and he. He sold me on it. He sold me on it. He said, you know, the amount of flexibility you have as a nurse, you can work in almost any specialty. You know, if you want to travel, you can travel. I, I was like, this is perfect for me. So I actually enrolled in nursing and um, I actually didn't have to take an entrance exam. I think I just walked on in and they were really short on male nurses, I think at that point, where I think that played a role in uh, how quickly I was able to take the prereqs and, mm. and get into the program. And um, it was a, it was a very tough experience. I think it was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. But I found my second wind during my rotation year. I just, you know, when you, you're studying and you're just like, oh, when am I going to actually get to taking care of a human being? I think my first day of rotations, I was scared beyond belief. I was nervous. and But like I said, it's one of those things where you either sink or swim. Right. And um, I had a great time. You know, it's either going to be a fit or it's not Mm -hmm. for most people. Some people it takes a little bit, but some people you know right away, oh, this this is the right choice. And just being able to do the little things as a nursing student, such as, you know, a blood pressure, listening to the heart, listening to the lungs, you felt relevant. You felt like this was what you had signed up for. The unfortunate part was I think I started noticing during my senior year, that I knew at some point I wanted to take on a big role. I didn't know at what point, but I knew there was more that I wanted. And I looked into PA, I looked into being an MD, sort of around my senior year of nursing school. I was not gonna quit on nursing. I had come too far and right. I said, let me give this a shot. But a part of me always knew, I said, this is not gonna be the end for me, that there, there's gonna be more. And I'm telling you, even to this day, through PA school, the most important, people who taught me the most I'd say personally are the nurses the nurses on the floor the nurses in the ICU the nurses in the ER they are truly amazing people and they they don't get the recognition that they deserve and I I definitely say the reason I'm so successful right now as a PA was those conversations I've had with the nurses I've interacted with with them you know not only teaching me about nursing and medicine But how to get through those rough days as a healthcare provider, because we all are going to have them. As I'm sure you you know, being you know, there's those days that you go home and you just go, I don't know if I can keep doing this. Mm -hmm. That's very, it's really something that uh, you know, I, I I never forget my experiences as a nurse and interacting with the nurses on the on the floor and in the field.
1: Well said. Well said, Jonathan. Yeah. You're my you're my favorite <laughs> today for saying that.
2: <laughs> but you truth. know, it's but you truth. know,
1: you get it. You were a nurse. You get it. You get it. So kudos I, to I, you. you know and
2: I, I still maintain my license.
1: So Good for you. Still,
2: still ask me, and they and I still maintain my license, and I'm proud to say I will always be a nurse first because that's where this all stemmed from. So I never lost that aspect of nursing school where they teach you how to really be empathetic you know with the patients and it's transition to be a better clinician mm-hmm. i'll tell you that much
1: mm-hmm. well awesome awesome things to share thanks thanks so much jonathan for uh, no problem for yeah no. being a guest and no all worries.
0: that jazz. yeah cool and there you have it listeners after the interview with Jonathan, he called me back and left a voicemail because he felt like he hadn't adequately thanked his awesome teachers. So I'll go ahead and include that voicemail before we end the show.
2: Hi, Miss McMillan. Uh, just wanted to make sure I, I give a, a special thank you to all the uh, professors over at NYIT's uh, PA program who, um, you know, have have always been there for me and and they really believed in in me even when uh, I went through some rough parts. Uh, Uh, during the the program. They've all been great and they've all taught me so much. And um, I really wouldn't be here without um, their guidance and and their support. So thank you to all the the professors over at uh, NYCPH program. Um, It's been great. So thank you.
0: What a guy, right? Awesome. Thank you so much, Jonathan, for sharing your stories and thoughts with us. Thank you all for listening. And I have one important announcement before we end the episode. Your
2: birthday yes it is your birthday it's your birthday yes it is
0: your birthday it's your birthday yes
1: it is your birthday we are
0: fucking <laughs> psyched i love it happy second birthday head to toe how cool is it it's been two years to the day since the very first episode went live There are now 19 episodes total, so if this is your first time hearing Head to Toe, please go back and check out the rest of the podcast where there are many stories from the history and future of healthcare, and shenanigans, and really cool people, providers, nurses, retired people, sometimes me just talking to myself, but not as much as me talking to other people. For those of you who don't know, I write, record, edit, and produce the show entirely by myself, outside of my full-time nursing job at the hospital. The podcast in its current form is free, and I would love to keep it that way, um, but I currently don't get any income from doing the show, which is fine. I love doing it. I'm super passionate about it, but I want to give listeners the opportunity to support the show. Last year for the first birthday, I put a donate $1 for the first birthday button on the website, and this year I think I'll just up it to $2 for the second birthday, the money I received last year helped me purchase some additional recording equipment, so thank you for everyone who donated last year. And this year, I'm hoping the birthday money will support growing head-to-toe even more. So please look at the show notes um, for the links to that Donate $2 button, and as always, please, please, please give me your feedback on the show. I love hearing from listeners. Email me at macmillanpages at gmail.com. Connect with me on Facebook or LinkedIn, and of course, there's more at my website, um, mariemacmillan.com. Everything you know is there. Or leave me a voicemail on the podcast feedback line, 503-512-0185. I might include your voicemail in a future episode. If you don't feel like donating $2 at this time, there is a completely free way you can help the podcast out. And that's by giving the show a rating on Podbean or iTunes, however you're listening to the show right now. Or you can write a review on iTunes. That would actually be really amazing. It would take you like five minutes total to write a quick review, rate the show, five stars, of course, and share the link with all your friends. There is more episodes to come in the near future, more extraordinary stories, career profiles, and trending topics, as is the podcast theme for 2018. Thanks for your support. Again, everyone, thanks again to Jonathan Tan for being today's guest. And thank you to Wesley Price for providing the intro outro music for today's show. Okay, until next time, take care, everyone.